Welcome back, Compass Bible Church. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm here with Pastor Hayden. Hey. And welcome back to the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples. And Pastor Hayden, how do we do that? We do that by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass Bible Church, like what? Including this podcast. That's right. Is to fulfill the mission of making disciples by reaching, teaching, and training. All right, Pastor Hayden, you just preached on Sunday, uh, going through the series, A Work in Progress, but you preached on part two of building godly lives as you preached through Colossians 3, uh, verses 14 to 15. And let me read that to you guys right now. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. All right, Pastor Hayden, what is the focus of the sermon you just preached on that you want us to remember as we enter this week? Of course, good to be with you guys. So glad we can join you. Whatever you're doing right now, whether you're driving to work, coming home from work, doing the dishes, taking care of the kiddos, we're glad to be a part of your life this week. As we're looking uh, back at this last sermon of Building Godly Lives Part 2, we need to understand that if we hope to build godly lives, displaying Christ-like love to one another must be our primary motivating factor. There can be a lot of things we do in this life to try to show people uh, Christ, but it all has to be motivated, undergirded, and built through the Christ-like love that we have been given in Christ. And here's three ways we can do it that we've learned uh, on this past Sunday. Number one is we need to lay down our life for our friends. That is, uh, if we're going to put on life, uh, love, we got to do it just the way that Christ did it. He laid down his life for us it means that we would lay down our lives for our friends. We talked about scriptures that told us all about what it means to lay down our life for our friends, and that is a primary way that we would show love to one another, that we consider them as more significant than us. Uh, the second one is that we would lay down our preferences in the name of peace. And you know, before we get into that too much, we need to qualify, but what does this mean? Lay down your preferences in the name of peace. Well, it is this, uh, that it's the peace of Christ that needs to rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body. That is, we have peace because of Christ, therefore we keep peace because of Christ. Now here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we can invite the Unitarian Church over across the street and try to get down to the lowest common denominator in our beliefs and then live life that way because it would never work. And that isn't what God calls us to do. He calls us to uh, prioritize uh, what we believe and understand that doctrine is important. Theology is very important. Uh, but here's what it does mean. Uh, because we are in a church, we are in part of one body, we are a local expression of the body of Christ. That means at Compass, we have these things. We have views. Uh, we have uh, a position on all primary doctrinal standpoints and most secondary uh perspectives and uh, understandings of Scripture. What that means is when you come to Compass, we have a foundation uh, of doctrine in which we all adhere to. Now, by adhering to, we mean this, that your pastors agree on doctrine, uh, your life group leaders agree on doctrine, and for all the people who attend Compass Bible Church, who come to Sundays or come to life groups, aren't forced to believe all the same things. However, what we have is a standard, and that means this, that when it comes to disagreements about any theological, secondary, tertiary 
issues with theology, uh, we do not create division with those. And so if you do disagree with a position at Compass, uh, first ask, what is the position at Compass? Uh, And then understand that our position against a position of someone not agreeing with us is this, that you either understand this is where we stand, so you agree not to create division, although be a part of what's going on here. We'd love uh, love to have you a part of our church, and we don't ask anyone that leaves uh, because they don't necessarily agree with the position. But what we do demand and require biblically is that you will not create division in that particular area. And so we we aren't saying your preferences as in uh, agreements and disagreements about theology. That's not what this is about. But because we have a standard and understanding of what we believe about God's Word, in our local expression, we have a foundation that we build on because we know what we believe. Now, uh, we do understand there's going to be people who do come to our church and do disagree with theology and doctrine that we have. Uh, And in that case, we don't mind that people would leave our church to find a local expression uh, of a church body here in our area that may line up with their beliefs better. That is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing for people to leave to find a church uh, that they may align doctrinally better. Now, our prayer and our hope is that they would align to a biblical theology and a biblical doctrine. Uh, And so we understand that those things may happen and that is okay and that is good because what we want to do is keep peace in the church. Now, doctrine out of the way because we just talked about where we stand on it. What we're talking about is laying down your preferences, things that have nothing to do with the salvific nature of our Christian faith and uh, those things that don't have to do with an accurate orthodox reading of Scripture. Now, if we abide by all those things, anything after that, uh, we would label as a preference. Okay, that means uh, for one example that we gave in a previous podcast is uh, the way that you choose to educate your kids. You cannot find a place in Scripture that says we must educate our kids uh, in uh, X, Y, or Z. X, Y, or Z. There you go. Uh, and so for us, we have to understand that that is a preference. And so we're not going to create division in our church. We are going to allow the peace of Christ to rule in those areas. And there's a bazillion other areas that we can talk about where preferences often create conflict in our uh, in our churches. And what we got to understand that point number two talks about is displaying Christ-like love to one another is our primary motivating factor, not our preferences. Uh, and then finally, a little bit more briefly, is we have to display our thankfulness regularly. Now, the context here necessitates us to make a distinction. We're not talking in this context about thankfulness to God. Now, of course, we should be thankful to God. You better be thankful to God, and you better be expressing that regularly. However, in the context here, we're talking about displaying your thankfulness to others, your friends, the the community that you have around you. Uh, I want you to to ask yourself the question, when is the last time you displayed your thankfulness to someone you loved in God's church? Now, that needs to be something that we do on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, and its primary motivating factor is to display the Christ-like love uh, of God to others. And so those are really our main focus this week. And I'm really, really excited for you guys to jump into your life groups and discuss this more. Well, speaking of life groups, Pastor Hayden, what is the focus as we um, prepare and go through the application and questions and prepare to discuss the questions in our life group? What is the focus you want us to, uh, to go with? Of course, there's a lot of application questions there on the back of your sheet, but they're all going to revolve around this concept. Why don't we see more Christ-like love in our churches and families? I mean, that's a real good question. Like, we have all claimed to be redeemed. That means we've all claimed to have turned from our sins, trusted in Christ, to be uh, bestowed the very spirit of God that lives in us, that empowers us. And all the power of God in, in his spirit is in us. 
why don't we see more of this Christ-like love in our church if we have the power of God inside us to bring these things about? That is a very important question, and we need to get to the bottom of it. And then we need to ask ourselves the question, how can I change the lack of Christ-like love in my own life? How can I exhibit more of the Christ-like love that has been bestowed upon me to others? Therefore, meaning how can I live out a godly life through making the Christ-like love my primary motivating factor? So all the questions are going to revolve around those things, but we need to get serious and and ask ourselves, why isn't this more of a truth in my life? Why isn't this more evident in my everyday life. So, Pastor Evan, it is now time to do our DBR Spotlight, and so take us through what we will be reading this week in our daily Bible reading. Well, congratulations, Compass Bible Church. This week, you are going to complete another book of the Bible. You'll be finishing Numbers and beginning the final book of the Pentateuch, the the books of Moses, Deuteronomy. And this is really exciting. I'm very, we are very proud of you as you have you know, kept going as so proud. I mean, as kept going reading numbers. And just as a reminder, as we you know, wrap up numbers twenty one to thirty six, that the purpose of numbers is to describe and display what faithfulness looks like. You know, we had the unfaithfulness of the old generation in the first ha- half of the book of Numbers, where you got the first census, first generation, unfaithful. Now we have the new generation, the new census that shows that this generation's a little different. Now they're not perfect, but they're more faithful to trust God. And that's going to be our focus is that second generation that's going to be set apart for holiness in chapters 21 to 36. But uh, for Compass, as, you, as you're reading and the narrative is continuing in the book of Numbers, there's a lot of things that are happening. There's new laws given. There's a repeat of laws. But here's three things to kind of grasp and keep your uh, mind focused on as you're continuing in Numbers is, you know, one is God's continued faithfulness. You will see this throughout the week. One, he's defeating Israel's enemies, all these different kings. He's defending Israel from their enemies' plans with King Balak and the prophet Balaam. When he's saying, curse Israel, and they try four different times, Balaam keeps blessing Israel because God says, I will bless Israel. Here, despite the unfaithfulness of Israel, God is defending him because he is faithful to Israel to say, I will make you a great nation and through you, the world will be blessed. You know, God's faithfulness continues through, you know, guiding Israel through the wilderness, instructing this new generation, even with the feast. Again, you see the feasts again, you're going to go, oh, why is this here? Well, he's instructing this next generation. Here are the feasts. Don't forget it. I'm faithful to remind you. Uh, He's faithful to keep Israel safe during the Midianites. As you read Numbers 31, look at verse 49. When they fight and defeat the Midianites, look at this. Not one single person was killed in battle. And that's an amazing thing. That is God alone was protecting them because he's a faithful God. And then lastly, I want to make sure that we touch on this, is the the allotment of the land. Now, this part, you're going to be tempted to just skip. I would say get a good map. Uh, you can find one on Google or if you have Lagos and you can find this in Lagos and look up as the you know, the Bible's either being read to you or you're reading it and look at the land because this is so important because this is real. This is not some myth. This is something that's not just made up. This is real history and God is showing I am a faithful God and here are the lands that I promise to Israel specifically in the tribes of Israel. But as we continue in Numbers, the second thing to keep your eye on is Israel's continued unfaithfulness. 
right away in Numbers 21, we see them complaining and God sending snakes at them. We see them give into sexual immorality and idolatry with the Moabite women, but yet God still shows mercy for not wiping them out completely. And of course, they show their unfaithfulness for not obeying the orders to the T to wipe out the Midianites that God has commanded. However, the third thing to keep your eye on is this contrast with this new generation. There's some figures that pop up. First is Phineas the priest. When they, Israel in Numbers 24 and 25 were um, going after the Moabite women and committing grave sexual immorality, Phineas uh, was... He, has, uh, he got angry for the Lord and he was, uh, helped Israel. He stopped Israel from sinning. One, he, he killed someone for who was uh, doing uh, having sex in public, essentially, in front of the tabernacle. And he had a zeal for the Lord and said, you know, we don't do that today. But he had a zeal for the Lord and he had showed his faithfulness to love God. Now, this is not the Phineas that we see in 1 Samuel. That, that Phineas is much, much, much later. This Phineas, though, is zealous, and he's the grandson of Aaron. Remember, Aaron represents the old generation, Phineas the new. Also, we see Joshua is now replacing Moses as, Israel, as Israel's leader. Why? Because he was faithful with the report he gave when he went to Canaan, and Moses was unfaithful to obey God. And the main point as you're reading the numbers and the continuing the narrative is that God is faithful and he's raising up a faithful people to help fulfill his promise to Abraham. Not to really help fulfill, to fulfill his promise to Abraham to make a great nation that would bless the world. And this is all setting up for the book of Deuteronomy. They were guiding through the wilderness, and the book of Numbers ends with them just outside of the promised land, which is going to set up the book of Deuteronomy. And this one's really exciting, Compass, because this is one of the, if not the most important book of the entire Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament refers back to it, and in the New Testament refers back to Deuteronomy a lot. So as we read Deuteronomy in the next few weeks, let's pay close attention to what is being said. And then finally, Compass, uh, there's a couple, I mean, not a couple, there's several things that point forward to Christ. In Luke 24, you know, Jesus reminds us that beginning the Moses and the prophets, he showed the scriptures concerning himself. And there's a couple parts in our daily Bible reading that Christ is kind of foreshadowed to, uh, foreshadowed first is in Numbers 21 with the bronze, the bronze serpent, where the fire serpents were attacking Israel. And God says, all right, if you want to be delivered, all you have to do is look at this serpent that Moses built. And then if you look at it, you're saved. And in the mind of the people, that is probably the weirdest thing to be told to do. But yet he said, by faith, you're going to have to live. Now, Jesus references this moment in John 13, verse 14, saying, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So just like Israel then, us Christians now, we have something to believe in that to the world is foolish. And that's what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the world, it's folly. Wait, you mean you just have to repent and trust in Christ and you're saved? Yes, because that's what God has done. And then here's one thing. Why a snake? Well, here's a connection that some commentators will make is that the snake, the bronze snake, is representing who Christ is because Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for for our sake, Christ 
uh, God made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like the snake that deceived Adam and Eve, Christ took on sin so that he can take our place in salvation. And the very last thing that I'll touch on is found in Numbers 24 is, you know, uh, where um, Balaam is doing his final oracle. And he says something very peculiar. A star shall come out of Jacob, a a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall crush crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now the star, and then a lot of commentators will say, this is the star that the wise men saw that we refer back to in Matthew 2 that we talked about during our Christmas series, that this is the star that they were looking for and that they saw when they're saying, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. The scepter out of Israel is referring to a king. Now, David partially fulfilled this, but Jesus will ultimately fulfill this, what did fulfill it, and will ultimately fulfill it when he comes to usher in his kingdom. And the point for us Christians is this, God is faithful, so let's trust him. All right, Pastor Hayden, that wraps up the DBR spotlight. What special topic do you have for us? We're going to look at something that you guys see. If you turn on the news right now in this very moment, you're going to see this as the headlines all over the world, and that is the Russia uh, and Ukraine war that we see going on right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of emotions with this. There's a lot of uh, thoughts and concerns. There's a, there's a whole lot of just flowing out there. And so we have to ask the question, what are we going to do as Christians? Uh, and really what I want to point you guys to is uh, five ways to pray for Ukraine. Uh, you know, people like to say, well, shouldn't we be doing more than, than pray? And we often like to say the statement, we can do nothing until we pray. It's a great quote that throughout church history that we look to. Uh, and so the first thing that I would suggest is that we understand the power of prayer and that we understand that we can do uh, we can do nothing better than pray. We can always do more than just pray, but we can do nothing better than to pray. And so here's five ways we can be praying for the, uh, the Ukrainians, the war going on there, the people who are involved in this conflict. And the number one way is right now is to pray for the church in Ukraine to be faithful witnesses in the midst of suffering. There are faithful Christians there as we speak, as we speak. the faithful brothers and sisters who are being uh, taken out of their homeland, who are, being, who are fleeing, who uh, are there uh, being trapped or, or whatever their, their personal specific situation is, there is a faithful church there. And we need to be praying for those brothers and sisters as if we knew all of them personally because they will be with us for eternity. And we need to be praying for them not only to flee and find safety, but to be faithful witnesses. Uh, there throughout history uh, has, has been great revivals in the midst of suffering and persecution. And we could see this as no different, as a perfect opportunity for the brothers and sisters in Christ to be faithful in the midst of the suffering going on right now today. That's number one. Number two is we need to be praying for the refugees and their safe passage from war. They're going to be going to all kinds of neighboring countries, and we just pray that they would both make it safe and there would be uh, there would be the kind of uh, help and support there for them to sustain them and get them safely uh, where they need to be. Thirdly, we need to pray for the salvation of Russian and Ukrainian leaders. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we look at what the Bible says about conflict and war and all these things that we deal with. Uh, really, the problem is, is we... Uh, have people in our world with hearts of stone and not hearts of flesh. We have unredeemed people out there uh, who make decisions not based on uh, a biblical worldview, not based on the heart chains that, that the gospel gives us, but on the hardness of their heart and of the desire for sin. And so we need to pray primarily for the salvation of Russian and Ukrainian leaders uh, that God would be glorified. 
not only just through what happens, but that they would get saved. Fourthly, we need to pray for the safety of civilians left in war-torn cities, as is always the case in war. There's going to be people that are left behind who are not soldiers, who are not officials. They're just civilians trying to make it. And so you need to pray for the safety of these civilians who are left behind in these cities. Uh, And then finally, we need to pray for wisdom for all those who are involved in this conflict, and that includes you and me. It's so quickly for all of us to make uh, comments and judgments and for all of us to to go so far uh, to say all of these things that we indeed know little about. And so we need to pray for wisdom for all those who are involved there, even uh, firsthand who are involved, who are making decisions in this conflict, who are making decisions based on even where people flee to. I mean, this wisdom needs to happen in all these areas to make sure wise decisions are made uh, that would uh, really mitigate the loss of life, that would create more opportunity uh, for for good things to happen in the midst of this terrible, terrible conflict. And it's for you and me to take a step back and to pray for wisdom of how we even speak, how we look at things, uh, and really look at what God's Word says about these things. Which really brings us to our next point is, what does the Bible say about things like war and things uh, of, of such matters that we're dealing with right now with the Ukrainians and the Russians? The first thing I would want to point you to is James 4, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, here's a good concept in Scripture, a good biblical principle is, why do we have wars and fights and quarrels? Because there's always people who have passions at war within them, and they desire things they don't have, so they fight and they murder to get it. They covet things that they do not have, so they do whatever they can to obtain it. And that really is not only why the wars happen across the world, but that is why you and I have conflicts that we often don't resolve, and that's why we cause unneeded pain and calamity in our own personal lives. Uh, But this is the same old, same old thing we've been dealing with since Genesis 3, and that's why we can't look to all of these different uh, you know, worldly solutions to the fix for this, because the real fix is found in Scripture, and it's called the gospel. Because we do see uh, in uh, Isaiah 9, 6-7, uh, the, really the promise of the fulfillment uh, of the true peacemaker that's coming. And it says this in Isaiah 9, in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Don't we wish our government was upon the shoulders of Christ right this moment? But we do look forward to a time when that will be the case. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We want real peace. We have to first have the peace of God in Christ. And it says, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. There will be no greater peace ever to exist on the face of the earth than when Christ is, is our peace and he's governing all of the world. And it says, On the throne of David he will sit, and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it, and with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we look forward as Christians, and that's why, you know, when all of this happens, it helps us look forward to the real truths, uh, the real realities that are awaiting those who are in Christ, is that we have a, a Christ, we have a, a Savior who is going to make all these bad things good. And wars are a good reminder for us that, uh, that our peace and our uh, prosperity is not here. It, it is awaiting us at the return of Christ. And we know, according to Isaiah 2, 4 through 5, that he shall judge between the nations, and he shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, 
Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what we look forward to. We know that isn't right now. We know that's something we can look forward to, that all nations will be at peace under the perfect rulership and governance of Jesus Christ. And so as we sit here today, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. Pray that God would intervene. Uh, pray that, that God's will would be done. And pray uh, that for the safety of the people there and that God would... Uh, God would relent from the disaster that's going on there in the midst. We need to trust, trust in God's sovereignty, uh, trust in uh, the decisions being made. As we've been praying for wisdom, we just trust that uh, God would see fit to to, uh, save and and see these people uh, restored. And we need to listen, right? We need to do less talking and more listening. We need to make sure that we we listen, we, we understand what's being said, and then make judgments based on those things, but always be careful because we always understand that we don't know all the things that are going on. Does not mean that we don't make educated decisions? Does not mean that we, don't make, uh, that we don't make our minds up? But always be ready to listen. Uh, and finally, we need to mourn with those who mourn. I know that you know people in Ukraine right now. I know plenty of people in Ukraine right now, and uh, they're mourning. They are fleeing. Uh, they're fleeing persecution. They're they're fleeing fleeing all kinds of calamity. And we need to mourn with those who mourn. So before we want to do anything else, we need to do what the Scripture teaches us, and we need to look at the lives of others, have uh, the kind of passion that Christ has, have the kind of uh, foresight to see that these people are hurting, and we need to be mourning with those who mourn as Christians. All right. Well, Compass Bible Church, we have a few announcements for you. Uh, First, men, we have a breakfast coming up on March 5th at 9 a.m. at the 2415 Lifehouse Building. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, breakfast, and of course, Bible teaching um, from me on displaying wisdom. So don't miss out on the opportunity to build community with one another and also to bring other men from this community to hear the gospel and experience God's church. Also, we have Exploring Compass Part 2 coming up Wednesday, so if you are going through that now or need to complete the last part of Exploring Compass, uh, here's your chance. But make sure you have registered, and Exploring Compass will be at Pastor Hayden's house again on Wednesday night. And Pastor Hayden, uh, won't you do the honors of the final announcement that we have that's really exciting for us? Of course. We are having our first corporate prayer night Sunday, March the 6th from 5 to 6 p.m. at 2415 Lifehouse Industrial Drive. Praying in the building. We're going to be in the building. It won't be finished yet, but we're going to pray and and pray that God would have that place ready uh, by Easter, that we can be having our Easter services in there. But we're going to meet together and we're going to pray that God would see lost people saved, that he would use this building as the headquarter for reaching, teaching, and training as long as we're here and able to fit in that building. So be with us there. Prayer night, we will not have child care. And the uh, bathrooms will be very, very, very limited. So make sure you go to the restroom before you get there. Uh, have somebody to watch the kiddos and join us as we pray for God to use this facility and use our lives to build his kingdom here in New Braunfels. <music>